Greetings, heroes, and thank you for answering the Summoner's Call. Presented by the Gamers Inn, this is a podcast for all fans of Fire Emblem Heroes and the Fire Emblem franchise. I'm your host, Brian Murphy, and joining me as always, my co-host, Eddie. How's it going, Eddie? Not too bad. We got uh, another Fate Channel this week. Yeah, and we were well prepared for it. We even had a strategy meeting of like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure it's either going to come Sunday or Saturday, so... Let's make sure we are able to delay. And we had this big strategy meeting, just the two of us had. I mean, and, and we figured, hey, we, we, we did it. We, we outsmarted intelligent systems. I feel like we did it. Yes. With our deep, in-depth strategy meeting of, hey, you want to postpone if the thing doesn't come out Saturday? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, when you put it that way, it doesn't seem like a deep strategy meeting. It sounds more like a really good suggestion. But you know what? We did it, and I'm going to pat ourselves on the back. And uh, why delay further? Because we finally know just how Intelligent Systems is going to reward us with a gatekeeper hero. So uh, look forward to that discussion later on the show. Yeah, he was quite something. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Uh, in terms of the banners running right now, got quite a few as we head towards the, uh, the CYL5 heroes being summonable. Weekly Revival Banner 23 is running. Yes, you may be wondering, didn't you say 32 last week? Well, as Eddie listed out last week, they are going... uh, Let me try this. They're going to alternate between the new heroes that were just put into the Revival Pool with finishing out the old Revival Banners. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yes. So next week we'll have Banner 33, one of the new ones. Exactly. Good stuff. Uh, Also running right now is Felicia and Fiora's Battle. That's until the 17th. You might have to listen to this as soon as it gets posted to be reminded to summon on that one. New Power is going into the 19th. Pirate's Pride Special Heroes Revival goes into the 25th. Festival in Hoshido Special Heroes Revival goes into the 26th. Phase Summer Hero Fest goes into the 1st of September. Perilous Seas goes until the 4th. And Keepers of Faith, the new CYL5 banner, goes until the 5th of September. Eddie, I am currently saving orbs for CYL5. And yes, we are recording this technically the day before those that banner goes live, so I have not done any summoning. We'll save all of that fun summoning results for next week. Excited to hear how we do. But Eddie, you have uh, one summoning of note here from, from the past week. Oh, yeah, not really anything of note, but, you know, then after I wrote that, I uh, went and did the free summons I had left over and ended up getting uh, Estival Princess Alincia, the dancer Alincia from the Festival in Hoshido banner. So, got that off of my free summon. Not too shabby. That's really Also, um, if we're going off of tomorrow's, the Fiora and Felicia's gone already. Oh, yeah, you're right. My math. Okay. Yeah, you're right. My math is all wrong. As of right now, either the Keeper of Faith or the Fiora and... Felicia Banner is already gone. Depending on when this gets posted, we'll determine which is the case. Yeah. Well, you know, user discretion is advised. <laughs> Just uh, be mindful of that. Um, but uh, we had, uh, before we jump into the news, we had a couple of, we had a new mode go live that we're going to talk about. That's Hero's Journey. And uh, quickly, it seems, I'm going to, Throw this out here, Eddie. It really does seem now that we have it in our hands, it's a lot easier to understand what it is. And it's it's not, I'm not going to say it's bad, 
I'm, it's because it's not bad. I'm just gonna say it's not very complex. It's pretty simple when you boil it right down. Um, I don't know if it's anything oh, rewarding. It, it never seemed that complicated, to be honest. Uh, the big questions were, you know, how would the little stories work? Would they be unique? Would they be uh, the same? Which they turned out to be the same, just the same thing for everyone. So essentially, this is to get a bunch of little mini scenes with two heroes and a couple small rewards. Um, there's rewards for getting a certain amount of rapport uh, between two heroes and rewards for beating the two boss battles. Uh, as far as I can tell, once you beat those boss battles, no point in doing it again. Um, you know, and you get have a little logbook so you can see the di- all the different types of events that can happen and the three different difficulties and replay them. So essentially it's to try and fill out that logbook and earn the um, access- accessory reward for beating the final boss battle. Yeah. So, so there are... So I've done it. Um, you can apply your Fey Pass auto start to the... Um, to the stages to the uh, both the beginner and the intermediate stage so that works quite well um the memento logs are sort of what you're unlocking by clicking on the books once you um once you tap on the memento event so as you're going through beating the stages you're collecting memento points those points a hundred of those are used to unlock a memento event and then in your memento logs you're going to see right now there are five events associated with season arch archive of the west which is currently running and they're they're very um they're very simple and short uh animatics i guess i don't know what you call them yeah three different outcomes good bad and or essentially you know three four or five parts so it's either you know bad good or great you know however you want to label it yeah, they're um, like they're heart systems. So there's like three bronze hearts, four silver silver hearts, and five gold hearts. And they're they're simple animations. Like you know, they're kind of a they're kind of building upon what you'd see in the forging bonds stuff. Although in the forging bonds, it's literally the same every time. But it is kind of a build up on that. Um, kind of a mix between sort of that the forging bond stuff and then some of the. Uh, voice acted stuff you see on the YouTube channel for Nintendo Mobile. There's no voice acting, but there are like sort of narration. But I mean, it's not it's nothing to write home about. It's not like they're really applying story here. It's just it's just silly silliness. And I mean, you can choose to ignore it. You can choose to do it and get some orbs. I think there was like a a daily three orbs you could get just by doing one one uh, battle. So you know. Like any other event, you f- you find what you like, and then if you're a free-to-play player like me, you're probably going to dig e- into everything that gives you free orbs. So uh, I, I there's really not a whole lot else to say because there's really that's really it. It's it's a smaller addition. There's not a whole lot of consequence to it. There's no strategy to it. I mean, like I there's no difficulty levels outside of what's presented to you of the beginner intermediate. Um, semi uh, mid boss and final boss you just do it and i did it all on auto battle and i was fine so like yeah that's not for the strategy people i think maybe it's more for 
I, I don't know. I don't know who this is for, but um, Eddie, I am excited because you had reminded me. I always forget this. This uh, ice and flame story is continuing, and uh, the second part just concluded with the Tempest Trials ending, um, I think, yesterday. So do you want to talk a little bit about what we saw in that second part? So we didn't discuss this when it launched, but at the beginning of the event, uh, Fjorm got a bit of a glimpse of the past with uh, Niffle and uh, the founder of the country of Niffle, um, and how Niffle seemed warm, friendly, uh, happy to, you know, be with uh, Virgil or something like that. I forget the exact way they, uh, the exact name of the founder. Um, and, you know, saw a glimpse into Niffle's past. And at the end, we got a continuation of that where Fjorm's discussing it with Niffle, who, uh, who, as we saw at the end of last um, uh, Tempest Trial, is quite cold nowadays. And we find out why she's gotten so cold and shut off her heart because uh, Muspe- Muspel uh, to torture Niffle had burnt uh, the founder of Niffle with Muspel's flame, which cannot be put out. So Niffle was forced to kill her to end her suffering yeah. and harden her heart towards people after after that. It was definitely more of a, a, like a darker twist and tone that we've seen from Fire Emblem. I, I mean, Fire Emblem Heroes in general, I, it was... Re- when you read it, it's like it's this character begging for her life, and, and I mean, it's it's rough stuff. One might even argue she might have been begging for her death because of the pain she was in. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, begging. Well, yeah, she's not happy about where she's at, and yeah. it it's one of those things where yes, they are still continuing to like kind of slowly deliver what's happening here. I mean, do we know if the third part coming in September is that going to be the last um, part or? Nope, no clue if it's the last part or if there's more after that. But the next part in se- is coming in September, part three, and version 5.9 in September. I'm looking forward to the next part. It could keep going after that. It could end there. We, they never gave a specific number of events, just a continual event. And while it continues, you'll be able to look back and see the old stories. Yeah. Well, so. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do next with Ice and Flame 2. I felt like uh, it, it still feels like a bit of a drip feed getting updates once a month, but uh, I, hopefully by the next one they get to, to the next part. <laughs> they get to the next leg of the journey, because I think this one was um, still dwelling on the, as you said, the dream sequence. So, it yeah. gave us more backstory on the story between Niffle and Muspel. You know, um, we never saw any hint of what's going on with Legion, why she popped up, because we had the Surtur pirate, so, and he was the final boss here. So, it's giving us more story on the background between, you know, Niffle and Muspel and the interaction between, you know, Niffle and Niffle. So, it's interesting. Um, I'm okay if they delay it even further, but, you know, if they finish it up next month, that'd be fine too, you know. I mean, if nothing else, it's almost kind of good that they didn't do it this month because they had nowhere to put Muspel as a add-in character like they did with last month with Niffle. Mm, that is a that's a good point. So you're thinking they just kind of oh. dropped us a a little bit of a story update so they could save Muspel for a for another banner? That's um, 
Got some solid uh, thought process. May or may not be why it, you know, they could have been just the story they want to tell about this. These characters in Fjorm's fate. I choose to believe it's for a good reason. <laughs> like you just said, not just because they want to tell this, uh, this story. Um, what do we've got uh, coming up on the horizon? So you mentioned September, but uh, what do we have for August? Yep. Uh, before next week, uh, the 22nd, we do have, of course, the CYL banner, Associate Forging Bonds and Login Bonus, uh, including the one-time Dragonflower bonus uh, that we'll mention here in a moment. Uh, that's all launching on the 17th, uh, maybe even before this episode releases, depending on when we get it out. Uh, before uh, and after that comes the Peleus Grand Hero Battle that launches on the 18th. Uh, not much else this week, as we get a new skills banner for lull skills on the 20th, and another round of Ponza Loki on the 21st. Good stuff. I love me some Ponza Loki. Good for you. I still have yet to play it. Ugh, <laughs> oh, you gotta get in there, man. You gotta get in there. Um, speaking of upcoming stuff, we also have our next Resplendent Hero announced, and that is Sonya Vengeful Mage. Sonia is dressed in, speaking of Moosebill, uh, she's dressed in Moosebill themed attire and will be available from August 25th after the current run of Raven? I believe it's Raven, yeah. Yeah. So look forward to Sonia coming in the next week or so. Man, time is flying. August is almost over. My gosh. Well, August is currently halfway over. I'm not, I'm part of the problem if I'm saying it's almost over, but... Um, yeah, anyways, I digress. We have a Fae channel to talk about. Why are we delaying any further? The CYL5 Fae channel is here. Uh, as record this ban- as we record, the banner has not released yet, but we did get the Fae channel last night in the reveal trailer for the new uh, heroes on it uh, that, you know, you should know from uh, earlier in the year, but in case you forgot, that is Marth, Marianne, Erica, and Gatekeeper which was the dark horse of the banner or of the Fechamp or CYL5. Um, uh, so we have their skills, and we'll go ahead and discuss them in their outfits this week. On top of the reveal of their outfits and the discussion of some of their skills on the Fae channel, they also announced that any hero released before August 17th, so essentially everyone currently in the game, including the new set of special heroes, uh, but not including the CYL5 heroes, can be buffed by Dragonflowers an additional five times for a max of 20 times on the oldest hero. Uh, they also reminded us that the CYL3 banner, Alm, Camilla, Elliwood, and Micaiah, uh, free summon for that is ending on August 31st. So if you have not used it yet, make sure you do so before it ends. Uh, and the new CYL banner, uh, that can be sparked up to four times if you spend enough orbs. You can be guaranteed at least one of each hero uh, and four of the new spark currency, which I still haven't spent any of, even though I have a stack of it. Um, also, there will be, a, as mentioned uh, earlier, there will be a one-time login bonus of 120 of each dragonflower. Uh, that runs until, the September, until September 1st, so log in once before the 1st and you get that. Uh, we also found out that Peleus from Radiant Dawn will the, be the GHB unit, and we will discuss and cover him next week once we know what his skills are and he's in-game and all. It was a good Fae channel. It was short. It was sweet. It, well, it wasn't that short. It was 15 minutes, but it kind of like, it gave us all the details we needed to know and and gave the, the right attention to the heroes um, and, and 
gave us more of a not a deep dive on the skills, but but more of an explanation and showcasing all of those weapon and, and, and skills and stuff. So I really like the way they kind of, you know, not dove in, but kind of like gave us an overview of how those skills would work. And honestly, I'd like to see more of that as opposed to just the way the trailer does it, where it just kind of drops it, you know? Yeah, but I mean, if they did a 15-minute fade channel every two weeks, that'd be kind of overdoing it, so... Yeah, you know these are special heroes. It makes sense that they save this special thing for them, and I kind of like that they've broken up the August uh, Fate channels into two: one where they cover the six-month anniversary, and one where they focus specifically on the CYL units. So, yeah, that's true. They were yeah. kind of sandwiched together, eh? So that's good. That's a good point. Yeah, I think the first year or two they just did it all as one, but now they can have started doing it separately, which is nice. And as we mentioned, we have those four heroes. In the second place of the men's was Marth, the Prince of Light, as his moniker is for this brave version. The hero of the first Fire Emblem game finally gets his chance in the spotlight of CYL, dressed in an outfit inspired by his ancestor, Henri, the original. I'm not 100% sure of that, because if Jugdral is truly supposed to be the same world, and Falchion's in there, so... Might be someone before Henri, uh, but the original wielder of Falchion. He is the a red sword infantry unit wielding, or Marth is a red sword infantry unit wielding, wielding the Genesis Falchion, which uses special trigger and, like all Falchions, is effective against dragons. If he is on defense or within two spaces of an ally, it grants a plus five to the four combat stats during combat, as well as additional effects based on the bonus total of the three allies with the highest bonuses on them um there might have been space ranging for that that i forgot to mention or i left out three allies nope just the highest bonus totals so doesn't indicate any spaces any distance for that bonus calculation uh could be there and they just i misread it from the write-up but um essentially the way those bonuses work uh, if there's a bonus total of 10 or higher, it neutralizes effects that prevent his follow-up and guarantee uh, the foe's ability to follow up. Uh, at 25 or more, it grants him an attack plus 5 during combat and heals him for 5, uh, even if he does 0 damage when he attacks. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And at a total bonus total of 60 on his allies, the three allies he calculates with, um, it allows him to do all his attacks before the foe can counterattack when he initiates combat. Uh, his brave uh, unit skill is the Shining Emblem. Uh, it's a special skill that grants him plus six to the four combat stats at the start of the turn if he is within two spaces of an ally. It also boosts special damage by 35% of his speed, and if it triggers, grants plus six to the four combat stats to him and all allies for one turn giving the bonus to allies even if he dies when it triggers. Uh, so, you know, or gets knocked out when it triggers. I think, it. not sure, I think this is like the aura skill that, uh, what was it, Sigfrid had? Or not Sigfrid. Uh, the aura skill, huh? Legendary Sigurd? Sigurd, that's it. I've been playing a bunch of Assassin's Creed and there was a, in the Paris, there was a Sigfred. So that's why it popped into my head as Sigfrid, but Sigurd. Uh, think he had that aura skill that is always active so i think the uh stat boost is always active it could only activate when it triggers but um not 100 sure it didn't really specify 
Uh, but when it tri triggers, it does give him and all allies a boost to their stats for a turn. He also comes with a new distant counter skill called Distant Pressure, which on top of the standard disencounter effect of allowing him to counterattack regardless of range, it grants him speed plus 5 during combat if at the start of the combat he has 25% or more health. But when that triggers, it does damage him by 5 if he attacks. Uh, he rounds out his skills with Spurn and even Tempest. Yeah. So. You're going to notice all of these characters have pretty beefy kits, and that is normal for CYL heroes. They they do tend to get a little more attention. And I'll admit, it looks like these ones got even more attention than normal, because it feels like with the CYL units, there are clear winners and clear losers. They all have pretty decent beefy kits, but from what I've seen, all of these have pretty decent beefy and equally beefy kits. Yeah, because this yeah. is the second place uh, men's division hero, and yep. when you when you think about what they needed to what they what we kind of forced them to do with the first pick, um, we, we'll talk about gatekeeper later on, but they gave him quite quite a kid as well. And I mean, usually there is a difference between the first and second. There is a bit of a tier difference there in terms of their one kit being clearly superior to the other. Um, and I just wonder if they just, they provided so much to the gatekeeper that were like, well, crap, we got to lift all the other heroes up. Cause they, they really went for it with gatekeeper. Maybe they just decided that giving some of the, you know, and like I said, they still usually had pretty decent kits, but it just always felt like it was clear. Oh, this guy's the overpowered one. But in this one, it kind of feels like everyone's equally overpowered. Yeah. From what I recall seeing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'll say this about Marth. It's interesting because we say, oh, this is our, uh, we've waited this long for a CYL version, but it feels like we've, we've got lots of versions of Marth and they, they still found a way to, to create the CYL version in a way that is unique, you know, is not a rehash mm -hmm. of a Marth we've already got. Um, they've obviously done like King Marth with Legendary Marth. And with uh, Child Marth, they did uh, Classic Marth. Mm -hmm. Kind of like they did kind of Classic Alm for um, his Brave version. Yeah. And I like I like this art. And I wonder if we were to go look at, you know, I remember in Shadow Dragon, there was a brief glimpse of Henri uh, in the prologue in sort of like a concept art ds phase and i'm sure i'm sure he's in uh the fire emblem art book that we got with the uh shadow dragon collector's edition um but this looks really good i i dig the red uh on marth and i mean on his shield as well like it's really cool and pairs well with with the blue that he's wearing with his little uh ribbon and obviously his hair and stuff but yeah this is a very it's a very cool addition to um, what is already a large collection of Marths that we've got going on. So I'm excited. He looks really cool. Yep, that he does. Yeah. Now, uh, adding to another collection of heroes that we have a lot of versions of, the second place women's division character is Erica, Pledged Restorer. Erica, Princess of Renee, is here, and she's looking bolder and braver than ever. She's making an appearance in an outfit based on the one worn by her brother Ephraim. Erica is a blue lance cavalry unit wielding binding Regenleif, which accelerates special trigger, 
cooldown count minus one. Effective against armored and cavalry foes. Start of combat if unit's HP is greater than or equal to 25%. Grants attack slash speed slash defense slash resistance plus five during combat. Reduces damage from foe's first attack by 30%. And also, if unit initiates combat, neutralizes effects that prevent unit's follow-up attack. She has two new skills, the first being in the A slot, called Surge Sparrow. If unit initiates combat, grants attack slash speed plus 7 to unit during combat. And also, if unit deals damage to foe using a special, restores HP equal to X percent of unit's max HP. X is equal to unit's max special cooldown count value times 20 plus 10 to a max of 100. Triggers even if zero damage is dealt. Her special new skill is in the... Or sorry, her second new skill is in the B slot called Moonlight Bangle, which enables Kanto 2, neutralizes units' penalties that inflict special cooldown charge minus X on unit during combat, deals damage equal to X percent of foe's defense when special triggers, X is equal to unit's max special cooldown count, value times 10 plus 20. And finally, rounding out her kit is Luna as a special and attack slash speed menace in the C slot. Now, Eddie, I'd say, like, her kit does seem to be, just in terms of, like, general descriptions, <laughs> uh, seems to be a little lower than sort of what we discussed with Marth and what we know of Marianne and Gatekeeper. But I'd almost say, like, the addition of Kanto there does make her, you know, more, you know, on par with everybody else here. I feel like Kanto, I've been using Kanto a lot lately with, uh, um, Reagan and other characters and it, it really is a powerful skill to be able to go in there hit and then run out of there it's critical for this game yeah her brave skill uh giving her canto is pretty powerful and it's um it's Reagan style canto so it has no you know whether or not she's used up all her movement before uh doesn't matter she gets a guaranteed two spaces to run away and that Surge Sparrow is pretty decent. Um, it's So with her bangle, does it say uh, that is straight up plus 20 no matter what? Or does it say, just confused, or is it that amount plus 20? Uh, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I mean, this is the thing. Uh... She comes with Luna, which I believe is a two cooldown skill. But if you switch her out for something like... Um, just some of those some skills like Astra, I think, has a five cooldown count, so that really boosts up the amount of healing you can do. And like it says on that skill, it says max of a hundred, but other skills it might max even higher. For all we know, yeah, there's no max on the bangle skill, just on the healing skill. Um, so I could get a pretty powerful percentage. Yeah, I mean, it seems to say. X percentage, so a guaranteed 20% boost, and then plus 10 times, you know, whatever. So does that mean you can get a over 100% damage boost of the foe's defense? That's pretty powerful. That <laughs> sounds pretty powerful to me. Yep. I mean, your special's not going to hit very often there, but... Well, you'll uh, at least once a map, I, I, I would imagine, if, if, if you're controlling uh, yourself and your you're sort of working through that cooldown and stuff, but yeah, like... And actually, I just noticed Luna's a three cooldown count, so that means it's already uh, 30 plus 10, so 
uh, health boost, health restored on Surge Sparrow, and uh, 50% of the foe's defense when it triggers on the Bangle. So that's pretty powerful. I'm not sure I'd say she's even that light. There you go. I mean, I'll say say this about the character. Um, Once again, her look is fantastic. I love that they sort of took Ephraim's armor look and feel and applied it to Erica. I think it is uh, very cool. Erica, dressed in an outfit inspired by her brother, Lynn. (laughs) Lynn? Yeah, I guess so. Looking at her hair, she looks like most of the time you see Lynn with the ponytail. Oh, the hair. Just the ponytail. The outfit, yes, is inspired more by Ephraim, but the ponytail, when I saw her face and ponytail, I'm like, hey, that's Lynn. Why is it Lynn here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they added once again another Lynn. They found a way to give, uh, to put Lynn back on the CYL charts. When you look closer, you see it is definitely not Lynn, but the hair made me think of Lynn right away. Yeah. The way the ponytail and the way it's flying about looked. Yeah. I like it. I really (laughs) like the way she looks. Uh, Her art is superb. And oh, once yeah. again, another great CYL character uh, added to yes. the roster. Uh, the next uh, CYL is the f- winner of the women's division, which is Marianne, the serene adherent. A student from the Golden Deer, Marianne is extremely quiet and fears her crest, though she does seem to like its ability to talk with animals that it grants her. For the curse curse that supposedly follows all who bear that crest. For her brave appearance, the Byleth of Her World sent her off to the dancing contest, which she won, and she appears in the dancer outfit from Three Houses as a colorless tome infantry unit. Uh, fitting for her Crest of the Beast, which wield- she wields a phantasm to- tome, which summons an image of a divine beast for its attack and grants her speed plus three, while also debuffing her speed resistance by six while neutralizing any buffs they had on those stats during combat if if the foe has 50% or more health. Also, if Marianne initiate com- initiates combat, it reduces the damage from the foe's first attack by 70%. Um, her brave skill is her special skill called Requiem Dance, which once per turn, if she initiates combat, uh, after combat, it grants the ally with the highest HP within two spaces that has already acted that turn an additional action, even if that even if that ally has sing or dance, uh, any ally or their pair-up partner, uh, if it applies, who receive this additional action is restricted to only one uh, moving one space, uh, and that is when that triggers. So she's a dancer that doesn't actually have the dance skill, but dances via um, a special skill that can even affect other dancers. Uh, but you can't, you know... You can't force it to trigger multiple times by having her be danced again. Uh, she also has another new skill in the Unity line called Attack Speed Unity, which, with, which when she is within two spaces of an ally, it grants her Attack Speed plus five, an additional bonus equal to two times any debuff she has on those stats during combat. Uh, the penalty boost is calculated separately for each stat. Um, so essentially, if she has a negative five from a debuff, um, she will get a total of 5 plus 10, giving her a plus 10 when she's done there. But uh, she also comes with no follow-up in Time's Pulse. And in the dancer outfit for her brave design. I wonder if 
uh, Intelligent Systems is listening to this show because, um, you know, in our game club, I made Marianne the dancer. And as soon as I saw the artwork pop up, I'm like, wow, why does this look so familiar? And it's because she's dressed, as you said, in the dancer's outfit that she has in Three Houses. So I, I um, didn't make her a dancer in my playthrough. I made Dorothy the dancer. But as soon as I saw that outfit on her, I'm like, that looks like the dancer's outfit from Three Houses. So saving her post time skip normal outfit for when they do an adult version of Marianne once they get to that and the normal heroes. Yeah, I can see that coming next year at some point. Um, but I, I think like, yeah, it's really it's really cool that they've added her in here with the dancer's outfit. I, I wonder, like, I mean, does this take up the slot of the dancer's outfit? I mean, maybe we get a, a male Three Houses character in the dancer's outfit to kind of complete that unique um, costume. Um, Who knows? It may, it may not, you know. The fact that everyone wears the same dancer outfit in Three Houses means that this may be the only dancer we get, but we'll see kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I think her artwork's great. Um, she she has the, as you mentioned, the Beast uh, in her special artwork, um, yeah. which is that... I know we just did this chapter, but is that the, the Beast in relation to her crest or is that just a generic beast um i'd have to go look up the artwork for the beast from her paralogue chapter it feels like it to verify yeah it does it looks kind of like it might be special it's not a generic one so it might be maurice but it might just be a generic divine beast it looks like it looks like maurice a little bit if you just because maurice was kind of one of those um not wolf ones, but more of the yeah. crawly Resident Evil 2 liquor looking guys, you know? Yep. So, I don't know. Uh, but that's exciting. Which would make sense for her, so. Oh, it would make perfect sense. That's that's the only reason I ask is because it really feels like they they kind of went all out for this, you know, to, to add yep. her um, her beast. Uh, well, let's uh, let's head into the last one, the first place men's division hero, which is Gatekeeper. Nothing to report, except you know what I'm about to say. The Garrick Mock Monastery is located in central Fodlan. It's the heart of the church founded by Saint Seros, and every day, countless people work together to keep it going, including the humble Gatekeeper. The Gatekeeper stands at the main entrance to the monastery, keeping an eye out for trouble. Gatekeeper is a green tome infantry unit wielding charging horn, which grants defense plus three. It also grants attack slash speed plus five to allies within three rows or three columns centered on unit during combat. Grants effects to unit during combat based on the number of allies within three rows or three columns centered on the unit, where if, uh, if there are greater than one ally... Uh, inflicts attack slash defense minus X on foe during combat. X is equal to the number of allies in the area times two to a max of minus six. If there are greater than or equal to three allies, foe cannot make a follow-up attack. If unit is within two spaces of a structure um, that a foe can destroy, the number of allies in the area is treated as three. Outside of harsh combat plus as an assist skill, all his other skills are brand new. 
In the A slot, close reversal. If foe initiates combat, grants defense plus 5 to unit during combat, and unit um, can counterattack regardless of foe's range. In the B slot is detailed report. Foes with range equal to 1 cannot move through spaces adjacent to unit. Does not affect foes with pass skills. Foes with range equal to 2 cannot move through spaces within 2 spaces of the unit. Does not affect Again, does not affect foes with pass skills. Foes cannot warp into spaces within 4 spaces of the unit. Does not affect yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pass skills or warp effects from structures like camps and fortresses and rival domains. In the C slot, Joint Drive Defense grants defense plus 4 to allies within 2 spaces during combat. If unit is within two spaces of an ally, grants defense plus four to unit during combat. All right, so the pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty, um, a lot to go over there, but it, it's really interesting how they've been able to translate Gatekeeper to a hero. Yep. Yeah. Uh, really fitting that someone closed the door as soon as we started talking about gatekeeper uh <laughs> but um oh. <laughs> uh i think that uh you know it's funny when i when i read out the character it doesn't sound very interesting being read out but like when you see the character in motion um it is kind of a really neat character because not only do they uh similar to marth they've got like a nearby allies uh, sort of thing going on here. Now, this one clearly states has to be within a three by three grid, but it's still cool how if you're the type of person to kind of move everybody as a mob, this character is going to fit in really well with your strategy. Yeah, I mean, if you're keeping your, I mean, a lot of these characters do seem to want you to group up, uh, so that's kind of a theme of these groups, and it makes sense for Gatekeeper. You know, he works best if he's with the rest of them protecting the gate, you know? So, and his uh, fighting animations, his attack animations are quite quite hilarious and amazing. Yeah, I'm going to have to re-enable attack animations because it shows a bunch of other Three Houses characters charging. So essentially his attack animation is, and you, you see it with just his weapon title, Charging Horn, he just sounds the horn, opens the gates. I really like it. I love the artwork. Uh, we were talking about this in Discord about how his his normal art, his uh, idol art, it has a background. It's got Garrick Mock in the background, and it's got you know dogs and cats living together in harmony. And I feel like that's the first character we've gotten with like a like a background as part of their art. So yeah, I hinted at this in um, in Discord. Uh, I looked through. Uh, Sothis is shown sitting on her throne, so you could argue that that counts as art. But, um, you know, whether you want to say that doesn't count because it's just the throne, not the throne room or anything like that, um, you might make that argument. But, you yeah. know, if you pull up the original mythic Sothis, she's sitting there with her throne behind her. So you could argue that she also counts as having a background, but it's nowhere near as... Um, elaborate as gatekeepers and gatekeeper has some of the other crucial characters from the monastery uh, that being the dogs and cats that you know initially they were foolish enough to not let us pet <laughs> man what a revolt that cost yeah well there's a whole twitter account devoted to making sure you can pet 
cats and dogs. Um, yeah, there's just a lot to love. There's a lot of special attention that went into this character, not only in the art, but also in the attack animations and stuff. And, um, I think this is like from the way I play this game, which is based on, you know, knowing the unit, loving the unit and just having special care and attention given to the unit. This is the, probably the best we've seen in a, Mm -hmm. in the game. Like, oh, this yeah. is crazy. They, they gave Gatekeeper a lot of love. And also, his art does kind of fit with him. You know, he is a Gatekeeper, so it makes sense the gate that he's keeping shows up in his art. Yeah, Exa- exactly. And I love yeah. that they chose to include Nothing to Report as his sort of, like, unit subtitle. It's yeah. it's also perfect, man. <laughs> this is great. So. Yeah, they they definitely took the unexpected love for this character and went all out with it. So they did they did right by him. Exactly. They took the challenge of us saying, "Hey, we want this character to be first place," um, and I think they really delivered. So I, I, for one, am looking forward to summoning all of these heroes. I usually try to go for all four. Um, and as we, or as Eddie described at the top of the segment. Um, You'll have the ability to choose one of these for free and spark four times on the banner if you so choose. So uh, if you've got orbs saved up like me, um, we'll be we'll be ready to ready to go. So yeah, those are our choose your legend heroes for this year. Um, we've got another few months to wait before we get to vote on the next round, but uh, yeah. Excited to get these guys added to the collection, for sure. Yep, and I will note, I did uh, manage to look it up and confirm that is Maurice as the image on her tome, on Marianne's tome. So Nice. That's good stuff. Well, uh, let's move, speaking of Maurice and Three Houses and all that fun stuff, let's move into the Outrealm Gate, where we're going to talk about Three Houses. We've got two chapters to discuss tonight. Um, we are doing Verdant Wind, the Claude Route, and we're going to kick things off with the long-awaited Chapter 19, The Chaos of War. The attack on Enbar begins as we work our way through the streets of Enbar, blocked by Hubert and the Death Knight. Claude warns us that reinforcements are coming, so we need to move forward quickly, uh, as, well, as well as we're being pelted by artillery stations, one of each, one archer, one uh, catapult, and one uh, magic artillery station uh bombarding us as we move through them uh but once we defeat those guys we can use those uh emplacements against the reinforcements if we so desire upon winning the battle while discussing the plans of how to proceed the dude shows up with uh the plans to the castle uh since he has been in enbar gathering data since shortly after grander field uh, and he has determined to see edelgard dead even if he personally fails in the task, he asks us to complete it for him. Uh, he then walks away and refuses to jo- refuses to join us and walks off on us, uh, planning to go after Edelgard alone. Uh, afterwards, Claude and Byleth uh, take a few minutes to discuss what will happen after the war is over. So, Yeah, this was a really good chapter in terms of, uh, as you mentioned, seeing Dudu return. Uh, we finally... Yeah. Got to dispatch the Death Knight and Hubert. Ugh, probably my favorite chapter because of that. <laughs> I really wanted to kill Hubert. Credit to Mr. Damon because he made a amazing character out of Hubert. You love to hate him. 
even if you're playing with him on your team. I love to hate him. Yeah. <laughs> but um, now, the way you wrote it, it indicated that the dude popped up during the battle on your map, or was it just the after thing you were talking about? Because I never saw him during the battle. Uh, it was after. Yeah, it was after. Okay. Just because he came okay. back, really. Like, he wasn't in yeah. battle, but I think it was either... It was at the end? Yeah, was I wasn't sure. You, uh, Your notes indicated that just that he returned, uh, but I didn't see him until after the battle was over. But I only... I took, like, four, maybe five turns to beat the battle, so I might have gone too quickly for him. No, he, he shows up at the end in a cutscene, I think. Yeah, 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 in Chapter 19, he showed up at the end in the cutscene for me, so... He mm-hmm. walks up, gives you the map to the palace so you can get up to Edelgard easier. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a good chapter. Um, you know, it's funny. I I've done these. I did these so so long ago. So I'm trying to remember uh, very clearly what I remember. Twenty more than nineteen, to be honest. But uh, I yep. did. Uh, like I said, I did enjoy um, killing Hubert. <laughs> <laughs> Although uh, I, I I don't know he. he He's a character, as you said, you love to hate, and he's so you know Hubert right until the very end. And but there is like a, I mean, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it at the end of the next chapter. But there is like a sort of a turn of events for Hubert um, at the end of chapter twenty that I thought was like, ah, oh, man, just when I thought I hated you. Playing through Black Eagles, or was it Crimson Flower? You see this part, you see the part of Hubert that they show at the end of chapter 20 during that playthrough. He's still creepy, annoying, and easily hateable, but he has always had good reasoning and intention behind his actions. He's just creepy and dislikable. Yeah. In my opinion. You're absolutely right. He is still weird and creepy. Um, And, you know, uh, we won't delay further. We'll get to that point. Uh, the next chapter we're going to chat about as well is chapter 20, Conclusion of the Crossing Roads. After rallying their troops, Claude and Byleth lead the Alliance forces in a direct assault on the Imperial Palace. The group engages Edelgard in a tumultuous battle and finally defeat her once and for all. The mortally wounded Edelgard bids Byleth finish her off in order to end the conflict, and Byleth obliges. And I'll interrupt myself here real quick to say, like, he's... He or she, depending on uh, which version of Byleth you're playing, straight up, like, cuts her off (laughs) mid-sentence. Like, doesn't even let her get a word in it. I mean, I don't know if you sense this, but it didn't seem like he was, or Byleth was was angry. I mean, the character... In the cut, it almost seemed like it was angry, but, you know, other than that, yeah. It just seemed like it was... During the first monologue, it seemed like it was sad and, you know regretful that it came to this but during that actual cut it seemed annoyed and angered at it yeah just because of yeah i did notice that i i just felt like he uh like bylas like bylas is known for not showing emotions and in this cutscene, you saw those emotions you know seep through of like sadness grief and then straight up like don't sit here saying you wish it could have been better. Think of all the people you killed. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of what it felt like. It's like, you know, she states, you must kill me, yada, yada, yada. And then like tries to say, I wish it could have been different. It's like, 
you made this choice kind of feels like where the anger came from. It's like, no, don't say you wish it could have been different. You made this choice. You took this path, you know? Yeah. You, I think you nailed it there. There's like her line. No wishes. Of... You, you know, this is what you decided. So enough with that. Exactly. Stop trying to justify your decisions against your decisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. Um, so continuing onwards, afterwards, as Byleth mourns Edelgar, they receive a letter from past Hubert. His final words explain that Cronion, Solon's allies, a faction known as those who swil- swiller, those who slither in the dark, still remain active. That they were responsible for the destruction of Fort Mercius. That they resent the children of the goddess and all of humanity, and that they must be stopped lest they destroy humanity. He directs the alliance to their stronghold at Shambhala. He also reveals that Rhea is alive and in captivity in a secret ca- er, chamber within the palace. The Alliance forces rescue Rhea when informed about Hubert's letter. Rhea reluctantly explains that the Liberation King Nemesis was originally the leader of a group of bandits who plundered the Holy Tomb and stole of the remains of the progenitor, progenitor god Sophus. Nemes- Nemesis went to the Red Canyon Zenato and used the sword of the creator to massacre the children of the progenitor god who were living there, gained power from their dead bodies, and brought war to Fodlin. Claude realizes that those who sl- slither in the dark used Nemesis to bring war to Fodlin, as they did the Imperial army. Edelgard intended to manipulate them the same way. Claude marshals the Alliance forces and proceeds or prepares to besiege Shambhala. Um, before we talk about that, it's it's worth noting. It's kind of it's kind of interesting that we're covering two chapters here, and it's it's very fitting because, as you probably can guess from the story, chapter nineteen and twenty are sort of back ended against each other. There's no monastery section between them because clearly, like, you're not going to leave mid battle for a month, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and this is similar to how it is at the end of the uh, Azure Moon Blue Lions route. Except it just ends here. It doesn't go on afterwards. Yeah. 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 So, and that was, that's, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, I really felt you, you, you kind of started the thought there where a lot of the other routes end here. Like the story traditionally ends here. And I remember with Crimson Flower, like there's straight up um, some, some, you know, credit text that kind of talks to, those who slither in the dark basically saying like and they were never dealt with the end you know and i remember our discussions on this podcast thinking like man that just seems really open-ended way too open-ended for a fire emblem game and it and it turns out as a lot of people pointed out in our discord like well you you kind of need to play claude's route and i feel like now that we are I, I totally understand it and i feel like this route is the first everybody should play now going back i wish i had played this one first because it really it really lays the bulk of the story out, and then you can go back and do the other routes and kind of like explore more. All the routes are good stories on their own, but you know, if you even if you don't play, you should at least like watch a playthrough or watch the story of Claude's route to get the background on the world. Because yeah, I mean, I think I heard rumors that there was originally planned to be a part portion of the game where you dealt with Shambhala and those who slither in the dark on all routes, but for whatever reason, they cut it out of the other routes, and, you know, just only Claude got to do that. 
but like you know in like i mentioned in ezra moon in the final map when you're fighting uh edelgard in the throne room um you know there's a mage who's you know once you defeat him the a bunch of other mages run off the map because they're part of those who slither in the dark and once you defeated that mage they were like oh no we're um you know we don't you know run keep keep our keep us safe edelgard's gonna lose or whatever type thing not not to mention edelgard was the version that you saw in the um fallen heroes banner this year in that route yeah no she definitely sort of done some some stuff you know with and and been infected and uh i i really felt like this map um if you wanted to do everything on it, it was pretty complex, but I I ended up just beelining it for uh, for Edelgard because Didu shows up um, halfway through the map and becomes a, an allied character. Quick question. Did Didu show up on his own, or did he show up after you entered the throne room? Um, I think as soon as I had a character walk past in, like that first unlocked door, or that first locked door, then he showed up. So yeah, that's what I figured. I think he's it's not a set he shows up this this turn or he might eventually show up a certain turn if you're taking too long, but he should seems to show up when you enter the throne room. So, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of avoided all the chests and just went straight for the for Edelgard, for the boss, and I it worked out well. I didn't I didn't really think like chests were worth it <laughs> being right at the end of the game, but I mean, we got a couple more chapters because of this route. If you were in another route, this would definitely be the end of the game, and it would be like, unless you're going to use it, it's not worth it. And I debated trying to go get the chest and killing everyone, and then just real was like, I'd rather just get this done with. So I bum-rushed Edelgard and finished the map in four, four turns. Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. We talked about... Um, Hubert's letter, how he manages to kind of be good, but also like still a bit of a dick in his letter. So, uh, uh classic Hubert. Hubert. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's also a lot here in terms of when Byleth and Claude approach Rhea and talk to the true nature of the Liberation King Nemesis, who was kind of portrayed as a good guy or at least like a good guy fallen on bad times. But his true origin is is straight up a bad guy. Like he, if if Ray is telling the truth, it's hard to tell with this game. But yeah, I, it makes it makes no sense to me. You know this this these details about Nemesis make absolutely no sense to me. If Nemesis was not a hero who was blessed by the goddess and trusted by the goddess, who went evil, went you know power hungry, why the hell do you prop him up as that? You know. Uh, why does the church prop him up as that? Especially if the leaders of the church are given the info to know that he is a despicable bandit who stole something and, you know, slaughtered an entire race or very nearly an entire race, you know, because uh, the fact that these people still hate the children of the god or children of the goddess uh, indicates there's at least some still alive, but, you know. Is the implication here that the children of the goddess would include like Seth and Flane? Um, that's another thing that I'm not sure about. I feel it would include Indek and Maquil. Um, and but you know, uh, 
Sedith and Flane are a confusing thing. Um, whether Flane would in, would in be included or not, I'm not 100% certain, because she is the daughter of uh, Sedith and someone who we've never met. So, you know, we don't know if Flane is half of what Sedith is, fully what's the same as Sedith, because uh, we don't know what his wife, who his wife was, or what she was like. And what we found out about Indek and Maquil, uh, Rhea can transform into a beast of some sort, a dragon, as we saw. But we've never seen any indication that Sedith can transform. So that's why I don't know what Sedith's status mm. is. That's a good point. That is a good point. If Sedith can transform and we just don't know about it, then yeah, he would probably be considered as well, possibly. But he could be, you know, and I think we'll hopefully we'll get more info because it makes even it makes even the info about Nemesis even more confusing because you know the crests why why wasn't he turned into a beast when he tried to or after using the uh, sword for a while you know because that's what happened to um, Miklan when he didn't have a crest and tried to use the uh, thing you know. The Lance of Ruin. We found that Hero's Relics require Crest Stones, but if you don't have a Crest to match it, you... Yeah, the Lance of Ruin, you will be transformed into a beast. So why... What protection did Nemesis have that prevented him from getting transformed into a beast? You know? Hmm. Allowed him to wield the sword. You know, I... As he did. I hadn't really thought about all that, so maybe... Maybe we'll get more in in the next couple chapters as we race to the conclusion of the game, but... uh... That's a really good point. Hadn't thought of that. Not not to mention, you know, um, you as Byleth have the crest, and you clearly have some kind of connection to um, uh, Sophus uh, because of the first half of the game, and what's the deal with that, you know? Although, in Crimson Flower, you kind of find out what the deal with that is, so I don't remember if they've actually explained it to us yet, this version. Yeah, not sure. Well, uh, we will return next week with Chapter 21 of Game Club for Verdant Winds, the city without light as we move to attack Shambhala and those who slither in the dark. Eddie, that is going to do it for our episode this week. Hope everybody uh, listening to this, good luck with your summoning on CYL5, which is probably available right now and you've already summoned, but good luck nonetheless. You can visit us on the web, gamersinpodcast.com slash fay. Email the show, fay at gamersinpodcast.com. Check out the Fire Emblem channel and the Gamers In Discord at bit.ly slash TGI Discord. You can also follow us on Twitter. You can find me at R. Murphy, Eddie at Dralfear, and don't forget to follow the show, uh, or sorry, follow at the Gamers In for show updates. Be sure to check out serenesforest.net, our go-to resource for Fire Emblem news and information. It's going to do it for this episode of Summoner's Call. Have a great week and happy summoning.